A1 Good Investing is not qualified to give financial advice. No part of this episode should be taken as advice. The content of A1 Good Investing is information and opinions. Information, including financial data and derived figures, may be inaccurate. Hello and welcome to another episode of the A1 Good Investing channel. The idea of A1 Good Investing is just investing based on your values using simple valuation methods and sound fundamental reasoning. Uh, Today is the 12th of February and I'm going to be talking about a company called CCK Consolidated Holdings. I'll just talk about their um, the industry, the management, the strategy, capital allocations and quality of earnings as well as the valuation. You can listen to this episode on Spotify or Google Podcasts or you can read my report at a1goodinvesting.wordpress.com. Just for a brief overview of the company to start with, CCK Consolidated Holdings Berhad. They are a 357 million ringgit company, which is about $120 million Australian. And in context, they're kind of a medium cap. And I, I guess I would say that they're medium to low risk. They, they're a chicken farmer, so poultry farming and food retail in the East Malaysian region. And that region is a little bit less developed on average than the region where we see most Malaysian businesses that we look at in uh, KL and Johor down in the southwest. It's a little bit of a less developed region, although Sarawak and Kuching um, have many areas that are as developed as anywhere else in the world. Uh, They also farm and ship prawns internationally. They do that, those frozen prawns, and they do them to Australia, South Korea, and Japan. The entire business is really lots and lots of different integrated parts. So they've got food retail, they've got the both farms like prawn and chicken farms, lots of cold storage and distribution stuff. Uh, and all of that is basically just give a cost advantage. So that's what they're about. They're very reliable and a kind of old company. They've been uh, doing retail at least for many, many decades, and they they deal in very essential goods. So they're quite a stable stable company. They've also been accredited with significantly contributing to the development of the areas in which they operate, just because they kind of grew up at the same time as a lot of the rapid development in Sarawak and a little bit more in Sabah have occurred. All right, so let's talk about the industry, poultry farming. So chicken is the number one meat consumed globally. I think this is pretty much because it has the best mixture of the most important factors when we're considering meat, which is taste, nutrition, financial and environmental costs. And so it's got a really good combination of those things. And Malaysia is especially fond of chicken. If you can see the picture, it's highlighted that Malaysia have one of the highest chicken consumptions in the world, despite having a a bit of a lower meat consumption. Indonesia consumes far less chicken and far less meat overall. Um, CCK are kind of entering that nearby Indonesian market. That's why I'm talking about Indonesia. But meat in general and chicken kind of consumption rises with average wealth. So the more wealthy and the more money 
the average person has the more that they spend on meat and it's very reliable so um, it's one of the first things that people will spend more money that they have on uh, unless there's some kind of cultural or religious barrier to that chicken and eggs and also prawns they're very standardized products so the most important factor in farming them and selling them is price and just getting a, a, an operation that is efficient enough to compete on cost is absolutely essential in this industry. The costs that we're talking about are obviously housing the chickens, feeding them, all the automated processes to do with slaughtering them and, and butchering the meat and feed is the most influential of these costs. Distribution is also quite costly because it's a uh, it's a product that expires and it has to be uh, distributed in refrigerated environments. So this creates a little bit of a local advantage because you can distribute locally more cheaply and that's a bit of a barrier for people who aren't local. And the other massive the other big barrier is just the sheer cost involved in getting an operation large enough to be profitable. So the the investment required is is many millions of dollars. You've got to make these massive uh, housing warehouses and you've got to get these large fixed automated uh, production lines developed. So yeah, these these barriers mean that the industry is mostly consolidated in just a handful of suppliers in most regions. Even in the largest countries like the US, uh, I think 60% of the market is held by four or five companies. And it, yeah, in general, it's a very, very stable business environment. Uh, because it's a commodity though, margins are still relatively slim. Like they're competing with other meats and other sources of protein. They can't, they can't charge too much. Um, farmers have had their margins squeezed quite tight in some companies where they're too dependent on single large customers. But as long as they own the retail operations or they have lots of diverse customers, the margins are usually kind of mid to high single digits. To, to get a bit of extra juice out of the margins, uh, farmers invest more in distribution and more in retail. And they also can add a little bit of value by further processing the meat into things like nuggets or sausages. So yeah, they're the major ways that you can increase the margins, but overall it's a very stable business environment. The There are two major risks and they are the animal's welfare and the potential for contamination and disease. So first we'll talk about the animal welfare issue. This, this is a very personal issue, right? Like the arguments are very extensively covered. You can read about them and I think it's a very good idea if you're interested in this company. You want to form your own opinion and invest based on what you believe. Um, it's very complex from, from how much the animals truly suffer through to how much value does it actually provide to humans. Is, is, is a tough life better than no life at all? I mean, even looking at the pictures that I've got in the presentation, the pictures are basically there's a very crowded-looking factory farm floor and there's the, a picture of the laying facility where there's chickens um, that 
uh, that live in quite small cages, although they can move and turn around and stuff. They're very small cages. Um, but two different people could look at these pictures and see two completely different things. Someone might say that's fine, that's that, that the chickens don't mind, they're, they're quite happy in there, and the company itself would say that. And then obviously a lot of other people say that that's a really terrific amount of suffering that they go through for their entire lives until they're eventually slaughtered. So yeah, my my position is that we just need we need that animal protein on a on a global scale. It's the only way to get the appropriate uh, supply of protein, vitamins, and nutrients into humans at this stage. And there's no real viable alternatives. And that the future accomplishments of humankind are kind of worth a certain amount of suffering. So I guess I assume that humans are going to go on to do some really amazing things in the in the far future and that this can make up for, for the suffering that occurs. I mean, my views are a little bit more complex than just that. And I, I really understand other people who don't believe that, who believe that we're not so special and we shouldn't be doing this to other, other beings. And so generally it's just it's important to, to have your own view and to act and invest according to that view. If everyone does that, then we end up getting the best outcome. All right. The, the ethical calculus is a little bit different in developing nations. In, in developed countries, obviously it's far easier to fork out for the animal's welfare. Um, but in other places, because the, those extra costs could put the nutritional value of chicken out of reach of a large amount of people, the ethical question is a little bit more difficult to answer. In CCK's case, most of their customers are completely, um, they're, they're, they're not in that range of where they're starving. You know, there's probably more of an issue with obesity than there is of malnutrition in Kuching and Sarawak. Um, but in those regions where it is, where they, they are proximal to those much poorer regions and they do encompass some of that. And in those regions, obviously, it's a, a much a far more complicated issue. And also in the past of this company, when they were growing up in the developmental pro like periods of Sarawak, it was far more of an issue where they were literally feeding the poor and, and making people far more healthier um, over, over time. So yeah, the, the other major factor in the poultry industry, the other major risk is the factor of disease and contamination. So there's risks of bird flus that wipe out entire inventories and there's risks of contamination that makes the consumers of the product sick. And they can, they can cost inventories, they can cost, the, the company can have to reorganise their processes and, and restructure things and also it can tarnish the reputation of the company. So the challenge with this is getting it right and investing the right amount into preventing disease and contamination, but it's always a risk. It's one of those risks that never goes away no matter how much you invest in it. So yeah, that's just part of the, the, the something that needs to be considered when you're thinking about this industry. All right, let's talk about CCK a little bit more. So CCK was built, the company was built by Tan Sri Datuk Tiong Su Kuk, who's a pretty well-known um, Sarawak tycoon, billionaire kind of guy. He's, he's all about shipping and food products, and he, one of his goals is to ship his food to every country in the world. 
CCK was originally a small kind of family business that was built up over 60 years until it got to what it is today. And the founder and his sons remain largely in control of the company. The current form, CCK Consolidated Ber uh, Holdings Berhard, they were established in 1997. It, it, it was established as a combination of several different businesses from the cold storage to the chicken hatchery to the retail operations and the seafood, they, they all kind of came together. And a few of these companies were owned by the founder um, and he combined those companies that he had with businesses owned by other people to form this fully integrated CCK consolidated holdings. Some of the businesses that he had prior to this were the first of their kind in that region as it was developing. And because of this, he's he's been credited with really, really helping the people of the region and being instrumental in the development of, of quality of life in the, in the region. All right. So management are a, an older group on average, 68 years old. Uh, they have very, very long experience in their current roles. The, the board of directors is also the key management, so they're very hands-on. And some of the non-family directors have been there since that consolidation and they were running their subsidiaries for even decades before 1997. So the founding family still own 39% of the company and those two sons, one of them is an executive director, the other one's the managing director and the founder has stepped back to a non-executive role. That family also runs a very large shipbuilding company called Nam Chong out of Singapore, which is no doubt pretty helpful in their um, shipping supply lines with their prawns. And they've just been in that local business scene for a very long time. They've obviously got some very good connections there. So yeah, the, the management on the whole are very well aligned with the company. They have those family ties, they've got immense shareholding and they've been bonded to those roles in their businesses over many decades. The only, um, the only issue is that while, while they're likely to run their operations at really maximum efficiency, that they definitely know the business environment very well and they know their customers very well, there is perhaps a little bit of a lack of diversity and youth in their earnings, which could be a mean, a mean a bit of struggle when it comes to adapting to new ethical frameworks and also adapting to things like online retail. The sons are still in their, their 48 and 51, I think, and one of them being the managing director. There is a lot, there's a bit of youth concentrated there in the managing director's role. And honestly, they probably do, they're probably all over it. But that is just the, the main concern that I saw with that management. Obviously, looking at it on paper, there's not too much I can see. Um, and overall, I think they do look like a very good management that I'm pretty happy to invest in. All right, let's talk about CCK's strategy. So this company just wants to own as much of the supply chains and the businesses as possible. They, they need to do this so that they can remain the cheapest provider, obviously, while maintaining a really good level of customer service and, and satisfaction. But the businesses they currently own from the ground up, they start with their, they have a 30, 27% ownership of a feed company. 
And then they've just got the hatchery where the chickens are born and bred. They've got the indoor chicken farms, both for egg laying and meat chickens, which are called broiler chickens. They've got the abattoir, the prawn aqua farm, lots of cold storage facilities and lots of distribution vehicles and facilities. And finally, they've got that massive re retail network of stores. So all of those work together to, to lend to each other and cut down margins, which is essential in, in this kind of business where people are very price conscious. They also add value as part of their strategy wherever they can. So two examples is, is, is um, the third party sale, the sale of third party goods in their retail stores. And also in the fact that they process their chicken into other things like nuggets and sausages to add value and get a bit of a higher return on their capital in that way. In terms of their ESG strategy, they're mostly focused on waste management, water management, um, carbon emissions and dust emissions. But there's really no mention of animal welfare in there. They're far more concerned with human welfare as they've contributed substantially to human welfare throughout the life of the company. And they've got meal programs that are ongoing for the poor. And they have a special charitable focus on intellectually differently abled people. So they really give back on the human side of ESG. They just don't really address the animal welfare side of it. Uh, I think culturally there's a little bit less of a focus on that. And also just in terms of the level of development of their region, there's less of a focus on that. So it's very important to consider in your investing in this company. All right. So quality of earnings, let's talk about that. So yeah, they, they have those four segments. They're broken down into the poultry segment, prawn, food service, and retail. Retail is, I think it's the oldest segment. It's many decades old and it's just survived through so many different cycles and periods where other companies have come and gone. Very well-resourced competitors have tried to enter from outside and ultimately failed. <clears throat> and that retail is the biggest contributor of revenue to CCK. They contribute well over three quarters of the total revenue <clears throat> and a little bit under three quarters of the profit. But it's important to note that 40% of that retail revenue comes through chicken and prawn products that are sold internally to that segment. So that retail is really a face for the entire entire company and all of their operations. Some of the strengths of that retail segment <clears throat> is that by having access to those good meat prices, retail stores get a bit of optionality. And I think that's the key word in retail. I won't go into it as much because retail is actually very complex in the way it works. They, they, can, they can charge less for the meat and more for other products or they can charge more for the meat and less for other products. Uh, they can discount other products so they buy that. There's lots of different things that go on in retail. <clears throat> also with inventory management and investing floats and stuff. It's quite complicated but in general having access to that cheap meat gives their retail operations a good level of optionality which, which strengthens those operations. <clears throat> retail stalls also have a brand advantage 
like all food outlets, we care about where our food comes from and we care a lot about consistency, hygiene, um, and the comfort of the environment plays into our experience. So they have very hygienic, clean, comfortable air-conditioned stores. They're a little bit like a 7-Eleven because they're, they're a mart rather than a full supermarket. And so they there is, there's a convenience element that adds value. They just have lots of little stores rather than a few big stores. And these factors combine to give them a right to demand a bit of a premium from customers. And they focus on those customers, those younger adults who are less set in their buying habits and they're not... The older generation are far more accustomed to buying in maybe some of those less hygienic market settings, whereas the younger generation are ready to begin the more modern um, supermarket or or uh, or more modern store environment. So that's who they focus on. And those people are obviously a little bit more wealthy as well in general, just given how the, the development of the region has played out. They also lower their costs by having that large network of retail stores. So they share distribution, they share inventory, and they also get an added amount of buying power when they're purchasing third-party goods for resale. And just those things just combine to make those that chain of retail stores more competitive than a standalone retail store. The revenue from this segment has grown well over the years and it looks to keep growing. I mean, they've opened six new retail stores and two supermarkets, so those biggest stores, in the last uh, 12 months. And the margins as they've grown have increased, although a lot of this is driven by specifically the Indonesian success that they've had. Um, And it's been muddied a little bit by the irregular conditions that we've had recently with COVID but it does look like they're gonna they they get better margins as they grow all right so let's talk about the poultry segment so as discussed this segment has very high barriers to entry and it's got a very good business environment I mean they have the only accredited abattoir in Sarawak and they have a very strong presence in Savar they're venturing into Indonesia and that has already proven to be quite successful. The the retail segment lends certainty to these poultry earnings because it gives them an outlet if they, that means they don't have to rely on any single customers. They can sell through the retail stores. Um, the, The segment also has quite substantial external revenues. So you can see all of these revenues are from external sales of poultry directly from that segment. And these are mostly to restaurant chains, hotels, cruise ships, those big food buying institutions. Uh, And the margins can get up to 7% on these external sales. Uh, They get juiced up a little bit when they're selling processed things as well. So the more processed something is, like a nugget compared to a whole chicken, uh, has a higher margin. The biggest impacts are on the poultry segment in isolation is, as we said, those feed, those feed costs. So yeah, 70% of the ongoing costs in the poultry segment are from feed. They have an investment in that company Goldcoin, and that helps minimize the, the impact of those fluctuating feed prices. But 
in the past few quarters due to a massive spike in feed prices, their, the external profit from this segment was negative, so they made a loss. All right, the prawn segment, it's an international market of frozen goods. Um, Japan, South Korea, and Australia are the major customers. Uh, it makes use of the shipping connections that, that the founder has and the management have. And like chicken, it's mostly an automated process. It has massive barriers to entry in the scale required to be competitive. And yeah, it saw, it saw a sharp price decline during COVID. Shipping became a bit more difficult. Prices have since rebounded, and in general, that segment makes around six and six to seven percent. And the last segment is just their food segment, uh, food services segment, which is pretty much immaterial. I mean, it's a good segment and it earns very high margins, up to fifteen percent, but it's quite small. And the customers were very heavily impacted during COVID because it's things like boarding schools, and so at this point, it's not a segment that I. I expect to contribute materially going forward. So yeah, putting putting all of this together, the quality of their earnings is quite high. Their, their products are just essential food products for people that they need and they eat every day. And they're quite a whole, quite high quality and quite in-demand provider of those products. Generally, their retail stores get between four and five stars on Google and their positions to serve the wealth, the the best market that they can in those younger wealthier people, but overall the the success of their quality of earnings relies on that integration of many businesses working together, and specifically on those poultry operations. They really need to remain strong to support the whole company. Their success is definitely evidenced by their continuing growth, even in tough business environments and in environments where other people have failed. And also the, the fact that they've remained profitable despite the fact that margins are very slim. So yeah, total, total company revenues growing slowly in the past five years and total net profits end up around five and 7%. And there's some avenues for growth in margins and in revenue as the region develop, develops and as they focus more on those supermarket operations and go into Indonesia. Now, the biggest issue is that those earnings are reliant on each other. So while they appear diverse, they're not as they're, they're impacted by a similar external factor, which is the performance of the economy. And because that directly impacts retail sales, that can go back and then make their chicken that the demand for their chicken products goes down and all it all impacts the business in the same way. Um, and the issue with this is that if there is a downturn and the company is struggling, there's always very well-resourced competitors that are ready to jump in and try and take market share. And if that happens, it can have a bit of a domino effect where they, the company can become significantly weaker um, because the margins they have can be eroded. And when, when an already slim margin is eroded, then the total profits even if it's only a 1% margin decrease, the total profit will be down 20 or 30%. So yeah, that's the biggest issue with their earnings. On the other hand, I guess because they're always building and they're getting higher margins as they grow, some people would say that that means that they've got a moat that is widening over time. Um, all right, so let's look at capital allocation. 
So most of their capital allocation is toward expanding core capacity. So that that occurs with extensive upgrades that are really they really are ongoing all the time, including but not limited to more retail stores and more factories. They've gone from fifty four facilities to uh, sixty nine facilities since twenty seventeen. Expansion of their farming and lay, uh, egg laying, adding breeding farms, expanding abattoirs, adding new processing lines. So most recently that processing line in Indonesia, which makes chicken sausages, that, that's 2020, so that's quite new. Always increasing their cold storage capacity, increasing the aqua farming and the prawn processing. All of this constant increasing of their core capacity it really indicates that the demand is strong enough to support these and there's a, a lag on that too so that indicates future demand as well so yeah the downstream effects of that are yet to be seen and on the screen you can see i put the total assets which have just grown markedly um, year on year basically for the last um, five to seven years the new lines of business they've entered kind of new lines of business, I guess, in their um, going into supermarkets, which is far more focused on that third that sale of third-party uh, retail goods. And also, I guess, they're using their processing facilities to do other meats, like beef. They're doing beef burgers. But that's basically the extent of their new lines of business. Uh, investing in other businesses occurs in their feed the feed supplier that they've bought into so they currently own 27 percent i'm sure they'd like to get a lot more than that that uh, feed supplier is located in singapore and no doubt a very good option just based on where the founder has his connections and his knowledge of the industry i'm sure that's a good a good investment and it's already awarded them significantly in dividends as feed prices have gone up in recent years um, they maintain a certain level of debt. It's approximately twice their net annual revenue. It requires quite minimal servicing, and I think that, that most of that debt is linked to the mechanics of retail operations. So I think that they get stuff on credit um, and then sell it. I think that's how retail works. I'm not too sure. Um, and so, yeah, it's linked to that inventory management. Uh, they also have leases out on a lot of their retail stores, which is good because that gives them op optionality. If they like a location, they can switch without actually having to own the, the real estate. They pay uh, moderate dividends, so between 3 and 3.5%, 3 .5%, and they make ongoing but quite modest buybacks. So they, they've maintained the same share count for the last seven years or something. There's no dilutionary activities, but those buybacks aren't large enough to, to really affect the share price too much. I, I guess that, that that indicates that they're ready to make those buybacks if that is the best uh, use of their capital. But right now, it really seems like that core capacity expansion is the best use of their capital and that expansion into Indonesia I think that maybe that expansion indicates that they've reached their limit in Malaysia, but the, six, the early success of that expansion is quite promising. So yeah, they, they do look likely to simply maximise returns for shareholders in the future. Um, and they've earned quite a sound return on capital between 10 and 12% in the last five years. 
And yeah, those last two years have been very successful, over 12%. So yeah, I like their capital allocation skills. Uh, valuation, they have a very good underlying asset backing. So they, the, the value of all their assets minus liabilities is 307 million ringgit compared to a 360 million ringgit market cap. And those assets, while that is the reported book value, I think that's probably likely to be quite reliable just because they are, it's almost like a mine, right? Like they, they're just going to provide essential goods and services to the public. So I think that that value being mostly concentrated in plant and property dedicated to chicken processing, I think you can say that that 307 million is maybe even not enough for the value of those assets. Um, there that that provides a good uh, underlying like a downside protection i suppose the pe right now is 12.6 i've seen that referred to as the grim reaper pe because that's where a company gets to after its product has become a commodity and i guess that's based on fully developed regions like the usa where there's little room for future growth but it does make a little bit of sense with CCK as, as a chicken producer, that's very old. But given that, I suppose, given that their ROE is still up in the, at like above 10, 12, whatever, the fact that they have quite fine capital management, um, good business management, strong underlying assets, and the growth demographics of the local region, I think they're probably worth a little bit more than that 12.6 PE. But in any case, I think that they're going to grow in line with the economy. And that's really the purpose of an investment in this company for me. It's just as, as that economy grows, it's one of those things that when people become more wealthy, they are willing to spend on those clean, nice, comfortable food and meat suppliers. And also in Indonesia, where there's a very low base of chicken consumption, you're getting really a good amount of exposure to any economic development that might occur in that area. So yeah, I think that there's a little bit of room for growth in CCK. If not, they're pretty good capital managers and if they can't grow anymore, I think they will just return value to the shareholders, which includes themselves, that I think they will just conduct buybacks, give dividends and maximize their business. Um, so yeah, I guess that's, that really is what a one good investing is about. It's about things like what CCK do, which is they have all those internal advantages and they're a very good business and the external thing that they provide, it's something that you might not think about, but what they do is they, they contribute a clean, healthy shopping environment where their customers are probably going to experience less disease and better nutrition when, as they buy these products. And the company really has contributed to the development and the quality of life of the people in that region over the last few decades. And going into Indonesia and, and continuing to develop within Sabah and Sarawak, they look to continue to do this. And so... In terms of human ethics, they're quite a good company and it's really just up to you individually as to whether you think that the animal welfare side of that ethics is not worth it. So yeah, whatever you decide based on your ethics, that's that's what A1 Good Investing is all about. 
So yeah, that's that's a that's what I know about CCK consolidated holdings. And that's why I why I own shares in that company. Um, I hope you learned something during the episode. The inevitable corrections that I'll have to make will be in the video description. Please let me know if you saw a mistake in anything that I've said because I can guarantee that there will be some in there. Uh, the next episode will likely be on another Malaysian company just because I feel like talking about them is probably my best use of time and they're most likely to be helpful for someone just because they're very underreported and I'm concerned with focusing on those small um, less reported on businesses and I, I enjoy that the most too it feels like I'm really learning something new um, remember that you can listen to this episode on Spotify and Google Podcasts and you can download the report at www.a1goodinvesting.wordpress.com and apart from that thank you for listening <laughs>